Chapter fourteen of William Again by Rick Mall Crompton. This LibriVox recording is in the public domain. Chapter fourteen William Gets Wrecked. William laid aside Robinson Crusoe with a sigh. His dreams of pirate king and robber chief vanished. The desire of his heart now was to be shipwrecked on a desert island. He surveyed his garden and the next garden and the fields beyond with an impatient scowl. He felt bitterly that it was just his luck to live in an overpopulated world with ready-made houses and where everything one could possibly need could be purchased at the shop round the corner. Yet he felt that within reach there must be a desert island, or at any rate some spot which a very little imagination could transform into a desert island. He decided to set out on a voyage. He filled his pockets with biscuits and pieces of string string was always useful he went into the morning-room where his mother and grown-up sister sat he felt strongly that a mariner just about to be shipwrecked ought to bid a fond farewell to his family good-bye he said in a deep voice case i'm not back i wish you'd remember to wipe your boots when you come into the house said his mother patiently you'd better be back if you want any tea said ethel William felt that they lacked every quality that the family of a shipwrecked mariner should possess. Not for the first time he washed his hands of them in disgust. All right, he said, don't blame me if, if you're sorry when it's too late. With this cryptic remark, he left them. To a casual observer, William looked only a small boy walking slowly down a road, frowning with his hands in his pockets. He was really an intrepid mariner sailing across an uncharted sea. Hello, William. William had a weak spot in his heart for Joan. He rather liked her dimples and dark curls. In his softer moments he had contemplated Joan, actually reigning by his side as pirate queen or robber chieftainess. Now he felt that her presence might enliven a somewhat lonely voyage. I'm an explorer, he said, sailing along and looking for new lands. Oh, William, Joan pleaded, may I come with you? He considered the matter with a judicial frown. All right he said at last will you come in my ship or will you have a ship of your own oh i'd rather come in your ship please all right he said well you're in my ship come on she walked along by his side the best part of joan was that she asked very few questions we're probably going to come to a desert island soon said william i spect we shall come to a desert island soon if we get through these icebergs all right there's a pretty awful wind blowin', isn't there, lashin' the sails and tacking and all that, and no land in sight, and all these whales and things all about. Yes, William, said Joan obediently. You'd better be chief mate, William advised. I'll be skipper. You don't see any land in sight, do you, mate? Joan gazed at the road before them, the hedges around them, the cow's head above the hedge, and the figure of the vicar in the distance no will uh, i mean skipper she said william heaved a sigh of relief for a minute he had thought she was going to fail him they proceeded in silence for a time the mast's gone now said william all crashing down on the deck before the terrible hurricane what sweeps all before it i thought it was going to crash on your brave head mate yes will i uh, mean skipper said joan 
she was quite satisfactory she entered into the spirit of a thing and had the additional advantage of not demanding a prominent role the vicar had come up to them he looked at william with disapproval fine day young man he said breezily awful said william gruffly blowin and hurricane and lashin and everything come on mate they left the vicar staring after them i wonder he said to the landscape whether that boy is deficient or merely impudent he was still wondering when they vanished from sight they reached the river the waves is lashin up at us said william surveying the placid stream i don't think this old boat will stick together much longer if you don't see a bit of land soon i'm just drenched through spite of my tarpaulins and almost perishin a hunger cause the provisions was swept overboard aren't you mate yes well i mean skipper said joan raising blue eyes alight with admiration the path now turned inland this part of the river was private and the back garden of a large house swept down to the river's bank i believe i believe said william that i see an island i believe that at last i see an island just as this old boat is going to crash to pieces against a towering rock there it's crashed to pieces against a towering rock my goodness we're in the icy water now well you catch hold of an old splinter or something and i'll catch hold of something else and we'll just make for that old island with all our might and main spite of the rain and wind lashing at our faces with set grim expression he began to struggle through the garden hedge come on mate he called holding the bushes aside for her here's the island at last now we'll lie down on the sand and sleep and then i'll go and get the things what will be washed up from the wreck the part of the garden where they found themselves was out of sight of the house. There was a summer-house by the river, and near that a clothesline with a tablecloth hung out to dry. They sat down on the bank of the river. "'Nice to rest, isn't it?' said William, after all that struggling against the fierce wind and rain. "'Yes, well, a mean skipper.' "'You go on resting,' said William kindly, "'and I'll go and try and find things washed up by the wreck.' He crept toward the back of the house. There was no one to be seen. The door stood slightly ajar. Cautiously William peered within. He saw a comfortable kitchen, empty save for the presence of a grey cat washing its face on the hearthrug. It suspended operations for a moment, surveyed William coldly and disapprovingly, and then returned to its ablutions. William's glance fell eagerly on a box of matches on the table and a saucepan in the sink. He waited in the shadow of the doorway. There was no sound in the house. At last, on tiptoe, his brows drawn together, his tongue projecting from his mouth, his eyes fixed on the door, his freckled countenance purple and scowling, his hair standing on end, he crept across the room. Returning the cat's haughty stare, he seized the matches, the saucepan, and two cups, and fled down to the river, where his chief mate was sitting in the grass, idly throwing stones into the water. "'Look what I found washed up from the wreck,' he said proudly. "'Now we'll build a fire, and soon I expect we'll find a native savage and some wild animals.' "'Not, not too wild, William,' said the chief mate. "'All right,' said the skipper, "'not too wild. But anyway, it doesn't matter, "'cause you've got me, and there's nothing much I can't kill. "'Now, after the night on the open sea, "'we'd better make breakfast.' 
with indescribable joy they collected twigs made a fire filled the saucepan with water from the river and put it on to boil when the water was warm william poured it into two cups and broke his biscuits into them the water was smoked and the biscuits grimy from their sojourn in william's pockets but to the shipwrecked mariners the draught was as of nectar and ambrosia both drained their cups that was grand wasn't it mate i think you ought to say aye aye sir aye aye sir well now i'd better build us a house out of logs and things and you go and see if you can find anything washed up from the wreck oh william i mean skipper you don't mind there's no one there but a cat with mingled apprehension and excitement joan stole off to the house william left alone returned to the summer-house and in his imagination made it vanish into thin air then he went through a ferocious and strenuous pantomime of gunning down trees and piling up logs and finally beheld the completed summer-house with the proud eye of a creator then he opened the door and entered a ragged unkempt man rose from the seat rubbing his eyes a black bag was on the floor william and the man stared at each other neither of them flinching you're just what i wanted to find said william at last with excitement and friendliness in his voice i just wanted a native savage oh yer did did yer said the man glad i'll do for yer all right and who may you be if i may be so bold as to arsk we're shipwrecked said william shipwrecked on a desert island i've just built a hut and my chief mate's gone to find things washed up from the wreck and you'll do for the native savage do you mind being called friday not at all young gent said the man not at all herbert amond is my name but call me friday saturday and sunday if you've a mind he ran his eyes speculatively over william but it seemed funny to see a shipwrecked sailor in clothes like them you'd have thought they'd have all tore to pieces in the wreck like yes said william eagerly they did one would have expected to see you well perhaps dressed in a sail or something his eye narrowed and he pointed to the ragged tablecloth fluttering in the breeze that'd do fine for a sail william's eyes were alight with enthusiasm yes it would he said fine if i was you and being shipwrecked said the man deftly taking the tablecloth from the line i'd nip into that there summer-house and take off that ordinary-like suit and rig up myself in this here sail then you'd feel like as if you was shipwrecked eh he threw the tablecloth into the summer-house and william all excitement followed friday lay on the bank by the river smoked a foul pipe and winked at the landscape soon william emerged proudly wearing the tablecloth in the fashion of a roman toga that said friday looks a bit of all right if i was you i'd go on show it to the other one what's looking at the wreck i'd stay and look after that there suit of yours so's no one runs off with it as william swaggered slowly towards the house friday rose spat into the river winked at the tree and went into the summer-house again joan was sitting on the step of the house with the cat on her knee well i mean skipper she said it's a lovely pussy then oh goodness william her tone hovered between horror and admiration william stepped jauntily up to her one corner of the tablecloth trailed on the ground behind him 
it's a sail he said proudly i got all my clothes dashed off me in the wreck and i'm wearin a sail what got washed up by the waves it does jolly well doesn't it joan clapped her hands oh and i've found a native savage went on william and he doesn't mind being called friday oh how lovely and the pussy will do for a native wild animal oh william we've got simply everything haven't we they went happily down to the river there william sustained the first shock of that momentous afternoon many more were to follow the native savage had disappeared search in the summer-house revealed the fact that william's clothes had also disappeared william's jaw dropped stolen he ejaculated joan's eyes opened wide the possibilities of the situation were beginning to dawn on both of them william how you get home william's expression was one of pure horror mean old thing he said simply stolen william what'll your mother say they stared at each other in consternation william clutched the tablecloth tightly round his neck at this moment a loud angry voice came from the house they fled precipitately to the summer-house isolated phrases reached them careless girl gossiping in the grocer's shop anyone might have come in i even locked the back door heaven knows then they heard the violent slamming of the back door both felt that the time had come for the adventure to end the desert island had lost its charm it must be after tea-time the sun was already setting in normal circumstances they would have crept quietly from the garden and returned to their respective homes but circumstances were not normal between william's pants and vest and the world at large was not his usual long-suffering cloth suit but a trailing and in certain places inadequate tablecloth william's freckled face with its expression of indignant horror in its frame of wild carroty hair had a curious unexpected appearance at the top of the long white robe oh let's go home said joan with a suspicion of tears in her voice william looked at her desperately i can't go home like this he said hoarse with emotion i can't go through the village wearing a tablecloth everybody be laughing at me no one's ever done it before not walk through the village in a tablecloth it'd make me ridiculous for the rest of my life he sat down staring despondently in front of him oh william what will you do i'll stay here till midnight till everyone else is in bed and i'll go home then you'd better be getting home now oh william i couldn't william i'll go and get you something from our house i'll get you some of daddy's clothes oh william william deeply touched could only stare at her and mutter gratefully thanks uh, thanks he's bigger than me but they'll do anything'll do he watched her anxiously through the dusty little window of the summer-house as she crept to the hole in the hedge and disappeared then he heaved a deep sigh drew his covering around him sat down on the summer-house seat and waited he was not left in peace for long the voice which had first broken in upon their desert island sounded again this time nearer it was evidently walking round the garden with a sympathetic friend and that wicked girl went to the grocer's and stayed there the whole afternoon 
it's that young man they've got now it's always the young men my dear that's the worst of girls and she left the house entirely unguarded my dear didn't even lock the door and i came back and yes my dear all the silver gone from the dining-room some thief had been in and oh yes i've telephoned the police and good gracious the wretch has even taken the tablecloth we had hanging up in the back garden did you ever have you have you looked in the summer-house he may be hiding there william grew hot and cold and took up his position immediately behind the door no my dear and i'm not going to i don't think it's fair to my friends and relations i'm not thinking of myself but suppose he were there he's sure to have a revolver i'd make a fine target for his revolver silhouetted against the light yes but couldn't we get pokers and dash in and stun him before he's time to move william pressed himself and his tablecloth tightly against the corner behind the door was aware of a curious sinking feeling in his inside some people he decided hadn't any hearts at all i don't think so we might so easily kill him by mistake well then at any rate we can lock the door and keep him there till the police come a cold perspiration broke out all over william the lock won't work do you know my dear i'd rather go further away just in case there is somebody there suppose we go indoors the voices died away in the distance the tenseness of william's form relaxed his fixed look of horror and apprehension faded he ran his fingers through his hair crumbs he whispered it seemed hours before the door opened and joan staggered in with a bundle quick william darling she whispered put them on and we'll go home no one saw me getting them i'm afraid they'll be a bit big but we can turn things up her fear was justified mr james clive her father was six foot six in height on william his coat nearly touched the ground his trousers though rolled up bulkily at the ends till they could be rolled up no more considerably impeded william's progress oh william they'll do she whispered at last they're a bit big but they'll do william in mr clive's clothes would have made his fortune in a music-hall stage strong men would have wept tears at the sight but joan's loyalty was such that only affectionate concern was in the glance she turned on him william's face was set and determined he thought that the end of his troubles was in sight as he rolled the tablecloth into a ball and put it beneath his arm they uh, they may be able to track us if we leave it here he whispered sides someone stole my clothes and i'm jolly well going to steal someone's tablecloth the curious couple walked down the road joan kept throwing little anxious glances at her companion he certainly looked very queer she hadn't realized that the suit would be quite so much too big so far they had not passed a house now they were passing a roadside cottage a man came out of the cottage and stared at william open-mouthed then he leant against the wall put his hands to his sides and emitted guffaw on guffaw william merely threw him a murderous glance and proceeded on his way with as much dignity as his trousers allowed him mrs called the man wiping his eyes a woman came out saw william gave a piercing scream of mirth and leant helplessly against the wall with the man 
Two small children followed and joined in the shrieks of merriment that to William seemed to fill the entire world. Joan put her hand to that part of the long sleeve where she judged William's hand might be and gave a sympathetic squeeze. Yet even Joan's heart sank at the thought of the journey through the village that lay before them. The next house they had to pass was the house where Joan lived. To her consternation, Joan saw a figure in a black dress and white apron at the gate. It was too late to turn to flee. "'Well, I never miss Joan. Your mother says you're to come in at once. She's in a terrible state over you. Where have you been?' "'I must go home with William,' pleaded Joan. "'That you must not,' said the housemaid, taking her hand. "'Your mother said I was to find you and tell you to come in immediate.' "'You had no tea nor nothing.' "'As for you,' she turned a devastatingly scornful eye upon William, "'dressed up and thinking you're so funny, "'well, you won't get me laughing at you. "'You ought to be ashamed of yourself.' "'With a contemptuous sniff, she led away the reluctant Joan. "'William continued his pilgrimage alone. "'He went slowly. "'He went slowly for two reasons.' One was that the thought of the journey down the village street filled even William's heart with apprehension. The other was that his trousers were coming unrolled, and his hands were so far up the long sleeves of the coat that he could not extricate them. He was glad that dusk was at last falling. He was aware that a tall figure was approaching from the opposite direction. He shrank into the shadow of a hedge and hoped that it would pass without observing him it did not it stood in front of him barring his way and slowly adjusted a monocle with a sinking heart william looked up into the face of joan's father excuse me young man said that gentleman but either you and i patronize the same tailor and have had identical ideas this spring as to style and material or or his hand descended firmly and held the back of William's neck, or you are wearing a suit of my clothes, in which case I must ask you to come home with me and take them off. He began to impel William gently back towards his house. If you just let me explain, said William pathetically. Explanations, said Mr. Clive, transferring his hold from William's neck to the collar of his coat, are tedious, unsatisfactory things why trouble yourself with them i merely ask of you as one gentleman of another that you will return to me the garments that you seem to have absent-mindedly appropriated even william's spirits were crushed by the repeated blows of fate he did not speak again till he was face to face with his captor in the library of joan's house but with joan nowhere to be seen he was pale and stern but i've nothing else to wear he said nothing you don't want me to go all the way home in nothing what said mr clive were you wearing before you purloined my suit i was wearing a tablecloth but then i suppose you can go on wearing a tablecloth but, but but you don't want me to go through the village in a tablecloth said william in frenzied despair you can go through the village in a table napkin for all i care said mr clive heartlessly i paid twelve guineas for this suit only last week and i'm not going to have it mucked up any more 
it'll take about six years in a press to take these creases out anyway i don't know what mischievous business you've been engaged in today but i can guess who got hold of this suit for you and i'll have a few words with miss joan on the subject this evening william glared at him savagely nothing to do with joan he said i got it myself he divested himself of the suit shook out his tablecloth and wrapped it around him scowling darkly well he said slowly and bitterly if you don't mind me going through the village in this i don't mind at all said mr clive pleasantly not at all allow me to see you to the door good night william he closed the door and went to the library window there he watched the white-clad figure disappear down the drive that young man's progress through the village he said aloud ought to be worth watching william set out once more on his adventurous journey at the thought of the village street his knees felt quite definitely unsteady never to william had his home seemed so near and yet so unattainable suddenly he thought of the path over the fields and through the churchyard it would bring him out a good way beyond his home but it would avoid that nightmare of the village street william climbed over the stile and set off over the fields it was nearly dark anyway he could see no one near he climbed the second stile that led into the churchyard and began to walk forward suddenly a woman who had been standing with her back to him reading one of the gravestones turned stared at him with open mouth and eyes gave a scream that made the hair on william's head stand upright and shot off like an arrow from a bow falling head over heels over the opposite stile picking herself up and running with deafening screams in the direction of the village william feeling slightly shaken sat down behind a tombstone to recover several people passed but william's nerve had gone he dared not emerge from his damp and gloomy refuge at last he heard the sound of many cheerful voices as if seven or eight people were coming together through the churchyard his spirits rose he could tell them his plight seven or eight people altogether would not be afraid of him he rose from behind his tombstone and with eight wild yells eight young women made for the horizon all but one she tripped over a stone and crouched with her head on her hands where she fell with a thrill of joy william recognized his mother's housemaid his troubles were at an end she would fetch him his overcoat ellen he began oh yelled ellen with a shriek more piercing than he had yet heard ellen fled from william's sight i don't know where william is said mrs brown to her husband he wasn't in to tea don't worry yourself about him unduly said her husband there was a rumor rife in the village as i came from the station to the effect that william had been seen walking in the direction of the village over an hour ago wearing a suit of clothes of abnormal size mrs brown sat down suddenly abnormal size but he was wearing his ordinary suit at lunch i can't explain it said her husband i merely repeat the rumor an hour ago then why isn't he home i can't say said her husband callously opening the evening paper at this point an unearthly yell broke the silence of the house and ellen rushed into the room flinging herself beneath the table 
it's come after me she screamed it's at the side door oh lord oh lord it's there all white and all oh don't let it get me i don't want to die i'll repent i'll oh lord oh lord mr brown laid down his paper with a sigh what is it he said wearily oh lord oh lord sobbed ellen beneath the table a figure appeared in the doorway a wild figure with a fierce indignant aggrieved expression and hair that stood up round its face a figure that clutched a ragged tablecloth round it with a certain enraged dignity it it it's william said mrs brown but they was stole off me said william wildly so i gathered from your account said mr brown politely well is it fair to spec me to pay for things what was stole off me i have already remarked that if i observed in you any sudden growth of such virtues as cleanliness tardiness obedience silence modesty uh, the rest i might myself contribute a little towards the waistcoat say or the collar and tie uh, we will now consider the discussion closed it's ever so long past your bedtime william said mrs brown do go to bed i simply can't bear to see you wearing that dreadful thing any longer with a glance of sorrowful anger at his parents william drew his tablecloth about him and prepared to depart he felt injured infuriated ill-treated and weary his self-esteem was cruelly hurt screams of laughter came from the next room where his grown-up brother and sister were relating his adventures to a friend the telephone bell rang william someone wants to speak to you he took the receiver unsmilingly william daddy said i could ring you up to say good-night to you i was so sorry i couldn't go home with you william i don't think you looked a bit funny in those things i think you looked nice in the tablecloth and it wasn't your fault and you were awfully brave about it and wasn't it fun the desert island part i did enjoy it we'll play a game like that again soon won't we good-night william darling good-night william hung up the receiver and went upstairs to bed he held his untidy carroty head erect on his freckled face was a softened expression nearly as good as a smile he wore his tablecloth with an almost jaunty air he was himself again end of chapter fourteen end of william again by rick malcrompton